bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's Potter's Field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts, as we unravel a secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here is our host, investigative history writer Michael T. Keene. Thank you very much, Norma Jean. And this is Michael Keene, and we are Talking Heart Island. Today's episode is brought to us by the Andover Haunted House. It's a nonprofit organization that raises money for several local charities. They're open primarily during the Halloween season. They have over 70 volunteers, and they claim real paranormal activity. An oasis of Rochester, New York, they strive to see that adults age 50 and over have opportunities to pursue vibrant, healthy, productive, and meaningful lives through lifelong learning, active lifestyles, and volunteer engagement opportunities. For a man with little-known life history, no legitimate records to prove his place of birth, or even his date of birth, and who would eventually be buried in a mass grave on Hart Island. Leo Berinsky became a known playwright, screenwriter, and film director. His most productive working years as a director in Europe spanned less than a decade, and then he was virtually forgotten. But while in the United States, he wrote screenplays for 13 films, including Tragedy of Love, starring Marlena Dietrich. He was also the co-director of the silent horror film Waxworks, released in Germany in 1924. The plot revolves around the proprietor of a wax museum who hires a poet to write fictional backstories for his wax models, each of whom were depraved notorious criminals. As the poet writes, he envisions himself as the victim of these criminals. Barbara Costa is a professor and head of the Department of German Studies at the University of Arizona. She's also an affiliate member of the Gender and Women's Studies in Film and Television. Her publications include Willing Seduction, the Blue Angel, Marlena Dietrich, and Mass Culture. 
and she is here with us today at Talking Heart Island. And Professor Costa, thank you very much for taking the time to share with us your interest and your research. It's my pleasure. Uh, Professor Costa, uh, in your book about Marlena Dietrich, uh, can you uh, expand on your research into her and also into her film career and how it all gets tied into feminist theory? All right. Well, that's a very uh, expansive question. So I guess I will start by talking about um, my interest in, in the cinema of the Weimar Republic. And I was particularly fascinated by the production history of the Blue Angel, which uh, launched Marlena Dietrich's Hollywood career in a way. Uh, she, the production history was interesting because the film was made in 1930, and it's among one of the first sound films made in Germany, much later than sound films in the United States. It was uh, called a transition film from silent to sound. And you'll see that the, the director plays a lot with uh, that transition from silent to sound. Also, it was a multi-language film because um, when, when sound films were introduced, kind of the dilemma for the industry was how do we capture an international market? With uh, silent films, that was easy because there was no language heard. So, um, you know, one of the first solutions that the industry came up with was making multi-language films. And The Blue Angel was simultaneously um, shot in English and in German. So there are two versions of the film for two different markets. So that production history really interested me. Of course, I'm also extremely interested in the career of Marlena Dietrich. Um, and as I said, the Blue Angel was for a long time thought to be the first film that she starred in, in the Weimar Republic. But um, years of you know research into her biography and the cinema of the, of the Weimar Republic and getting away from canonical texts or canonical films, it was discovered that she indeed starred in, a, in two other films in, made in 1929. And those films were, were silent films. So The Blue Angel was not her first film. Uh, Marlena Dietrich, as a film star who came to Hollywood, uh, became the topic of a lot of feminist research. And you know, looking at how gender is constructed in cinema, looking at Dietrich as a more an androgynous figure, um, looking at the way that um, the gaze is being distributed in a lot of her films. You know, the, the uh, notion of the vamp became popular in the 1920s, and she was one of those prototypical vamps who was said to rob the life blood of her male protagonists, starting with, you know, some of the films um, in the Weimar Republic that she starred in, and definitely in uh, The Blue Angel made that uh, von Sternberg made with her in, in Germany before uh, bringing her to the United States. So in terms of feminist, you know, to answer your question about feminist theory and feminist interest in Dietrich, 
It really has a lot to do with the way that gender is constructed in the films and how she is, um, how femininity is represented and how she becomes um, a very powerful site of um, control of the gaze over her, over the, the male protagonists in the films. What about her personal life? Did this carry over as far as you can tell, or was it pretty much a, a, a distinction between her personal life and her film career? Well, her personal life is extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that there is kind of a, a melding of um, personal life and her, and her uh, representation in, in films. Uh, Dietrich was born in 1901 in Berlin, and she grew up, so to speak, in during the Weimar Republic. Uh, she was very prominent on many of the stages during the Weimar Republic. She was played cabaret. She was in different films. She played in theater. So she was, you know, a part of the cultural scene. Uh, as m- many of your uh, listeners may know. Berlin at that time was uh, seen as a very um, as a laboratory of modernity, a very uh, a modern city that kind of rose out of the ashes of World War One. Was known as a as a libertine space, and especially in terms of of gender, because there were a lot of um, I, I think that there was a scene that was very maybe open or well-known in Berlin of uh, lesbian clubs and gay clubs and um, kind of a loosening of gender norms during that time period. And and Dietrich definitely fit into that whole uh, libertine scene. One of the cabarets that she participated in was became very famous. It was a, a song that she sang with Margot Leon. Uh, it was called "When My Best Girlfriend," and allegedly she wore a a violet on stage, and that was always a, became a symbol was a symbol of lesbianism. So you know there was, um, I mean Dietrich was basically I think pretty much known as uh, bisexual, I think, at that time and during the Weimar Republic. She was married, and she did have a daughter in that time as well. Um, but, her, and her, you know, the man that she married, Rudolf Siebert, who incidentally uh, was um, the person who got her the role in the tragedy of love that uh, Berinsky also um, co-scripted, um, became, uh, Rudolf Siebert became a lifelong companion for her. Um, so when she, you know, she came to Hollywood and von Sternberg was able to secure a contract for five films with Paramount, um, that, I think that Weimar, her Weimar persona was in a way, being translated into the American scene, 
Um, I've read that the Blue Angel uh, um, was not as widely distributed in the United States, and they were Hollywood was trying to kind of recast and reinvent Marlena Dietrich, move her away from that more risque Berlin kind of type. And uh, the first film she made in Hollywood was Morocco. And and in that film, it kind of builds on the androgynous, but not in in such a way as uh, as her Weimar films. What what so, is the basic plot of the Blue Angel? Uh, the basic plot well, it's actually based on a novel by Heinrich Mann, uh, Professor Unrat, that was written in 1905, and it was adapted for the film. The plot changes a little bit. It's about a cabaret singer, Lola Lola, who seduces a um, high school teacher, who, you know, with, with uh, a very considerable status in the, in the society of Germany. Mm -hmm. um, and she seduces him. He leaves his job and marries her. So, you know, in a way, he thinks that he can bring her back into a more reputable fold through marriage. Uh, and, but of course, he does not fit into her milieu. He has to he has to move into her milieu because he loses his job and she becomes the breadwinner. And it's really about um, his his downward trajectory after his. Um, his meeting uh, Lola Lola, the cabaret singer. And at the end, he, he tragically dies. It's kind mm -hmm. of a takeoff of the genre of the street film in which a vamp seduces an established bourgeois male. Um, but in the street films of the 1920s, most of the bourgeois males, you know, they tangle with the with the uh, the vamp, but they return to the domestic space, the bourgeois domestic space. And in the Blue Angel, Rat returns to the school that he left, and he actually dies there. So, and and Marlena Dietrich, I mean, as Lola Lola, continues her career kind of unscathed um, as a cabaret singer. So it's, it's the film is kind of a warning to. And the bourgeois establishment of not uh, transgressing boundaries. I wonder if that warning was heeded. Sounds like it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, it's very interesting because there's a 1959 remake of The Blue Angel in Hollywood. And the ending is much different. The, the professor does not die there. He gets sent uh, to a um, kind of an institute to rehabilitate people who have fallen off the, the moral path. And he, he goes to save them? I mean, so basically it's a positive spin. He's saved spin. in the end. In the Hollywood right, right. version, he's right. saved at the end. Right, right. <laughs> um, in doing uh, some of the background on this, uh, what I was fascinated with was the relationship or the lack thereof between Hitler and Dietrich. Um, 
Dietrich, I guess, chose not to make films in Germany at one point. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I can. Well, you know, Dietrich does not belong to the the exiles, the German emigres that left after Hitler came to power. She left Germany in 1930 uh, on the night of the premiere of the Blue Angel in Berlin and, you know, became fairly, I mean, she, as I mentioned, she left with a contract for five Paramount films. Um, but Hitler, or Goebbels, wanted to entice her to come back to Germany to become kind of the diva of the um, major film studio in Berlin at the time, which was the UFA, U-F-A. And Dietrich actually um, refused to return to Germany. She, actually, she did not um, take Goebbels up on the invitation to come back. And the, but it was really interesting because the reviews of her films before she refused to come back were very positive in Germany. And once she refused to come back to Germany, even the reviews of her films became very negative in Germany. So she, she actually became a U.S. citizen and, and renounced her German citizenship in 1938. Was it and for political reasons because of what was going on in yes, Germany? Yes, okay. yes. It was a form of protest. And um, she never set foot in Germany again until... 1945, when she entered Germany with an Amer wearing an American uniform, you know she she sang for American troops during World War II, and with the USO, and she came back to Germany at the end of the war to look for her mother. And that was the first time after leaving in 1930 that she came to Germany, and then she tried again in 1960. She was touring. Um, she wanted to, there was a concert tour organized for her, but the reception in Germany was so ambivalent. I mean, some people were ecstatic that she was coming back, and others actually protested and called her a traitor. So she didn't, she left, she broke off the tour and, and didn't return to Germany until she died in 1992 because uh, her, her, body was then brought to Germany and she was buried in Berlin. What, so, uh, when did yes, she and, stop? And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that, you know, she also worked in Hollywood to help um, refugees from Germany settle in the U.S. She was very active in that community. When did she stop appearing in films? When did her career come to an end? Oh, you know, to be honest, I'd have to look that up. I think the, the American Gigolo was one of her last appearances, but I would have to look up the date. Do you know and when she died? It was fairly late. It was fairly late. I mean, she performed. Um, I think she, she became a recluse about the last 12 years of her life. Mm -hmm. So she was on stage performing. Um, not in films, but on stage as a, as a singer, I think well into, I mean, her late seventies. Did she ever do any television work? Um, not that I know of. No, not that I know of. What, what is the, uh, 
as someone who obviously did all this research uh, into her life and film career, what what are be the most surprising thing you learned about her as a person? As a person, mm. um, you know, I mean, it's really difficult to say. <laughs> You know, even well, I mean, the whole thing. So many biographies written about Dietrich. I don't know. You know. N- yeah. You know, I, I just. I, I guess one of the most surprising things was to know that, um, and maybe this is not so surprising that she became a recluse because she really understood that she was living off of her image. And she needed to protect herself and, you know, and not um, tarnish the image through age. I think that, you know, she was very, very aware of that. And in fact, when Maximilian Schell made a documentary film about Dietrich, um, and I'd have to look up the date, he, she refused to, to appear on film. I think she already knew at that point, you know, that uh, she needed to protect and preserve the the image that the public had of her up until that point. So I think right. that's, a, yeah. you know, really interesting in terms of, you know, the whole discussion about aging and, and women and um, the film industry. You know, I uh, failed to mention when I was introducing you that you received your PhD in German from the University of California at Berkeley. Um, so you're not just, you know, Marlena Dietrich, but, uh, your interest in, in German culture and history and so on. When we spoke a couple of two, three, four weeks back, Mm -hmm. I had mentioned the, um, silent horror film Waxworks that I believe is a German film, correct? It Uh, is a German film. Yes. Did you ever see it? Um, you know, I saw it so long ago. I don't think I could comment on that film. Okay. I mean, I saw, I've seen I think it. I saw it when I was a graduate student. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the reason I bring it up is because that's one of the films that Leo Barinsky uh, was involved in. And you can yeah. go on, uh, you can go on YouTube, you know, just type in right. Waxworks YouTube and you can watch yeah. it. Now it's a silent film, but it yeah. has the most, uh, um, the music and the images, uh, they're really quite, uh, I can see why it might have been very popular as a horror film. Um, mm-hmm. The um, so with yeah, Marlena, well, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that you know, I mean, the the cinema of the Weimar Republic. What people, a lot of people don't know, is that um, German film in the 1920s was one of Hollywood's fiercest competitors, and that. Uh, Hollywood tried to undermine the German film industry by recruiting some of the, you know, German filmmakers to Hollywood. Murnau went there. Um, Lubitsch was, went to Hollywood. And, and some of the stars, um, the, the main uh, male protagonist in The Blue Angel, Emil Jannings, he also made films in Hollywood. And he was actually the first actor to be given an Oscar for best um, male role. So he's the first one to receive an Oscar 
And he was in Hollywood and left Hollywood um, as Hollywood was transitioning into sound film because he had a very strong accent and his English wasn't very, very good. So he was afraid that he was, you know, wouldn't be able to make that transition into sound. And uh, he returned to, to Germany was, and made films there. And he is actually the one that invited Joseph von Sternberg to come to Berlin to make The Blue Angel to help him transition into sound film. So that was kind of interesting in terms of the production of The Blue Angel. So you have an, an Austrian-born American filmmaker returning, coming to Germany to make the, the Blue Angel. So we not only uh, managed to recruit their directors and actors, but also the scientists you know, towards the end yes. of the Second World War. So there was something going on in Germany, no question about right. that. Well, uh, Professor Costa, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, share with us your your knowledge of a really a fascinating person and, uh, and a period yeah. of time. And, uh, yeah. and I want to thank you again for uh, taking some time in, to uh, talk to us on Talking Heart Island. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, it, it's my pleasure, and you know, it's it's nice to talk about uh, one's one's interests. This is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you, in order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, simply go to the subscribe page on our website, located at www.michaeltkeen.com, and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members, for book inquiries, voiceovers, website or graphics design, use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island. Talking Heart Island.